0: Up and declare that he's worthy together. Come on and sing I saw Satan fall like
1: lightning,
0: I saw darkness run for cover. Forever. this is my testimony from death to life because grace rewrote my story i'll testify my jesus christ the righteous i'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony Together sons and daughters Bought with blood and washing in water Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father Our God will finish what He started Yes, our God will finish what He started oh, This is my testimony My story, I'll testify by Jesus Christ, the righteous. I'll testify. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. From death to life, to one life. If I'm not dead, You're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh I believe. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh I believe. If I'm not dead, you're not done. You're not done, you're not. Greater things are still to come. Oh I believe. This is my testimony from death to life Cause grace rewrote my story, I'll testify By Jesus Christ the righteous, I'll justify This is my testimony, now I'm alive This is my testimony from death to life Cause grace rewrote my story, I'll testify by Jesus Christ, the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. Father, you're faithful. You make a way when there's no way because of your son, Jesus. So we sing, we praise because of that truth. Father, we love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus. And because of him, we pray it.
2: Amen. Amen amen you may be seated welcome to Crossroads Ministries today I have a few announcements uh, this Friday we had our drive-in movie and uh, uh, Frozen 2 and I believe they, uh, Luke said there were 75 cars and uh, my wife was here with 6 of our grandkids and she came home she said it was a wonderful time and so uh, we want to thank God for that uh, that screen it's a great ministry tool I think they're thinking about doing that again i'm not supposed to say that but pastor ken and ron are away this is our second week they're doing great you know kenny he's such an extremely people person he's he's off the charts and uh he hates not being here but we told him no go fish go fishing or something so i think he's doing pretty good he's not he told me he's actually relaxing so that's good huh so keep him in your thoughts and uh i think they're having a good time i think he'll be back tuesday uh I, I, there's a verse we're going to throw up on the screen for you. Second Corinthians 9:11. You will be enriched if, in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And in Second Corinthians 9, Paul's talking a lot about giving. And you know this is so uh, so true. Your, your, your generosity to, to the Lord's uh, ministry here has been phenomenal. And I, I find it a real privilege that I can just personally thank you. I know as many people are thanking our church for things that are going on. The ministry has not stopped. And uh, people are coming to Christ. And I personally, I, wanna, I just want to thank you for your continued giving. And people are doing it online, through the mail, and the boxes in the back. And uh, we're just amazed. I really am. I am amazed how God is, just keeps us rolling. So thank you very much. And let's close in a word of prayer here. Dear God, thank you for this time. We thank you for our people, the faithfulness of our people. Thank you for your many blessings. And I pray you would just touch the uh, worship team as they sing. And Luke, as he comes up, just touch him with what you want him to say. And help us to receive your word from an almighty God. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.
3: to be with you good to see you you guys look great i can't see everybody online but i'm glad you're with us too and i just poked my head in on there before we we hopped up and it's just good to see our church family whether we can't be here in person we're joining online and we're still you know we're still gathering under the name of jesus amen can we we get can we get excited in the church this morning whether online yeah i mean you can (laughs) it's funny i heard a pastor like i was listening to a pastor on on um Online and, and he was he was talking to the the crew online. And he's like, you know, you can post an emoji. So listen, people online, if you want to post an emoji or get excited online, you can do that too. It's okay to hoot and holler online, just don't do it in the way that's annoying and crazy. You know what I mean? But I just want to share with you, we're in a series called Facing Your Giants, and this has been a really good series. Um, and I, I'll just say this: um, when you look back in the last couple of weeks, we we truly have some amazing spiritual giants in this church. You know, people have been in the church for years, and we get the immense opportunity to study under and to, to lean on, I mean, from Pastor John and, and, and Joanne and, and the many people that have been in this church, and so um, those are good giants. The giant we're talking about today is the giant of comfort, and so I'm going to read through, just I'm going to connect kind of my story a little bit to this, but I want you to think about what does the giant of comfort even look like, because it kind of sounds awkward. What's a com- how can a giant be a comfort? You know, how, why would a, you know a, how can a giant be taunting us with comfort where I actually think that the giant of comfort may be one of the scariest giants in our world right now? So for me, I grew up, many of you might not know, but I grew up in the suburbs of Illinois, and you might go, oh, that makes sense now. Um, but, you know, for, for me, m- you know, my growing up was great. We were a block away from the local pool. My middle school and high school were within 10 minutes um, you know, good friends had a great church. Um, you know, but one of the things that I have been doing, you know, for probably the last four years, you know, uh, my mom ha- passed away. Um, it'll be four years uh, this October. In fact, she died on October sixth. October eighteenth of two thousand and sixteen was sixteenth was her birthday. She died of a brain aneurysm. And um, as my sisters and I, we process this. One of the things that we've made the connection as we connected the dots is. She was one of the most spiritually influential people in our lives, my mother. And and as as I, we continue to process, and you guys know that if you've lost a loved one, it like it comes in waves. You know what I mean? You'll feel it for a time, and then you might not, and then you, it comes, and it just like you just you wrestle and you continue to process. You'll never stop processing. But the more that I talk to my sisters, the more I connect the dots to my childhood. The more I've come to the conclusion that we really. As I look back, we really never had a comfortable life. You know, both of my parents worked and struggled to make ends meet. We never owned our own home, never had a car that lasted a while. We never had the best things that life could offer. But what I'm realizing sitting on this side of it looking back is that in the moment, we, we never realized that. It, we never made that connection that we were living such an uncomfortable life. But one of the things that I'm looking back and I'm seeing in my mom is that she constantly laid down her own comfort for her kids. Constantly. You know, so that we could experience something better in life. And I know that so many of you have such deep connections with your parents and they are like, just, they're they're irreplaceable. They mean so much. You go to them for wisdom and guidance and for encouragement and challenge. And my mom continually just exemplified that. You know, my parents, my parents did their best to help us get new shoes before we started school. <laughs> my mom, in God's grace, my mom helped us through all the weird trends of the '90s, like JNCO jeans. Like, listen, I, I, <laughs> I know, some of you are like, just bought me a pair, you know. But um, my mom helped us through all that, and my mom did whatever she could to take us to church on Wednesday night, on Sunday, and to help us memorize our verses for Awana. Help us, you know, to, to make good choices, to, to go to a youth group and listen, people. Youth group was never an option. We never had a choice. We went. And when I was finishing out my latter years of high school and beginning to pick a college, and my sisters throughout their time picked a college, my mom was always helping us and sacrificing whatever she could to get us to a school that we wanted to go to, which I wanted to go to University of North Carolina because that's where, Mar- that's where Michael Jordan went. Still one of the best basketball players of all time, but we'll leave that aside. But, you know, um, I, I, she was like, Luca, I, I, really, I really want you to think about this and I want you to pray about this. And so I, wanted, I made the decision to go to Taylor University in the middle of cornfields of Indiana. And um, I, God did an amazing work in my life there. But she continued to sacrifice to allow my other sisters to go to different colleges and do the things they could do. But one of the things I remember most about my mom is that she never had, she never had the, the, the victimized mindset. She never had the, the, the mindset of, like, I'm the victim because she knew her victor, right? She knew Christ. And my mom never, never brought her excuses to the table as to why she couldn't do something. She never lived the victimized lifestyle. She walked closely with Jesus and wouldn't give in to the giant of comfort. My mom defeated the giant of comfort by recognizing that. And so this morning, as we identify the giant of comfort in our lives, we're going to ground ourselves with the truth of God's word, and then let's slay this giant, because people, church, this giant has to fall. The giant of comfort has to fall. We are not living in comfortable times right now, so God is stirring it up, right? The, the, the times are going to continue to get crazy, and it's so easy to just to be lured by this giant of comfort. So let's tease this out just a little bit. You know, for, the, for this giant of comfort, it seems, on the surface, it seems pretty harmless. But that's just the problem. Most of us enjoy kicking back at the end of the day. Believe me, I do too. Relaxing with our families, working hard to provide a safe and secure environment for our families. You know, making sure our bank account's in good shape. We desire a smooth and non-chaotic situation for our families. You know, we want lives, our things to go as planned. But, but here's the tension. The tension here isn't that those things are deadly. Because I desire the same things for my family. But but, but where the trouble arises is when safety and security become the dominant theme in our life. When a relaxation mentality supplants our attentiveness to God's call in our lives. Listen, Jesus took time off. We know that. Like, he retreated. And when he did, he did. (laughs) He retreated just for a time. But Jesus was not on mission to come to this earth to be comfortable. Nothing that he did was comfortable. He came with a specific mission, and he's calling us to a specific mission as well. And no, like I said, I believe the giant of comfort is truly scary because it causes us to miss the very best because we've settled for something good. I think the part I've always struggled with is what am I supposed how am I supposed to make my life count? Like those of you who grew up in the church and maybe those of you who are, are new to Christ and you're growing or those of you who are asking questions, like how would you begin to make every day count? Like you read the verse in scripture that says, To live a life worthy of the call of Jesus, and you're like Like you're going like, God am I okay? God am I okay? And what we miss out is so often he goes, Listen, you are. But we're so focused on what can I do more, what can I do more, which is good. But I wanna, what I want to do is I want us to think about the tension here between living the good life and living the God life. You know, settling for it's my life and I'll do as I please. I've worked so hard, it's time to do whatever I want to do. You know, this is something that I, I really had to think hard about because, again, when we think about the giants in our lives, they're, they're taunting us, right? They're calling out at us, they're screaming at us, they're tormenting us. This giant isn't outside our houses tormenting us. He's not outside our cars throwing rocks at it and screaming at us and yelling at us. He's just sitting there offering us a deceptive route back to ourselves to to settle for what's comfortable. In fact, this one hurts us really bad. You know why? Because it robs us of our lives because we choose to settle and to be comfortable. And I think David and Goliath, now we're not going to focus on the whole passage, but I want to just focus on one specific thing that happens at the very beginning, right? And so David, what, ha- right, what happens here is we have Goliath comes out, he, he taunts the Israelite armies, and then they sit for a month and a half. So let's check out this verse. First Samuel seventeen sixteen. it says this. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champions strutted in front of the Israelite army. For 40 days. 40 days. The Israelites sat in comfort for a month and a half. You know, they're thinking, if we ran out of supplies, someone's going to come and arrive with more. Let's shoot to battle for tomorrow. You know, so, so as, the story, as, you know, as the story continues on, Scripture says that, you know, Jesse, being a good dad, right, he, he's, he's got to send food to his boys. He's got to keep his boys well fed. They're going to be out serving on the front lines. And so he sends David, the youngest, to go out. This is a big deal for David. He's, you know, he's tending the sheep. He's doing chores around the house. You know, he's probably 14, 15 years old. And David goes out, and he gives him food to take to his brother's. So, in, so it continues on in, in verse 17. It says, One day Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. This giant was calling the shots. He was dictating their lives, and Goliath would come out every morning and shake, rattle, and roar, and the Israelites would say, nope, not today. Too dangerous. not, Not safe. Let's go have lunch and stay in the tents where it's safe. And I think the giant of comfort in this situation, he's reminding us that we're good just where we are. No need to move. No need to let go of your sense of control. Just stay where you are. You know, the giant of comfort isn't a bully. It's we are just that easily persuaded by our desire for security and control. Just sit on that for a second. The giant of comfort is not a bully, not bullying us. It's just that we are just that easily persuaded back into a sense of safety and security. Listen to this quote by Louis Giglio. It says we can act the same way today. We have our own church. We have our churches and our battle cries. And there's an entire camp of us hanging out together in comfort. But the giant is taunting us. We are failing to let the victory of Christ into our lives in the fullest way because we aren't willing to step away from our sense of control, our ample supply, or our sense of material comfort. We won't accept the challenge and move out with God into whatever he is calling us to do. We shout our war cries, but we continue to shudder in the shadow of our giants. So what happens in the next part of the story is mind-blowing because what David does next... So, reminder... 40 days, like a month and a half roughly, and what they couldn't do, and they're strategizing. I love that word, but sometimes that word is like, we're planning, and we're strategizing for a month and a half. We, not do, we haven't done anything, and then here comes David, and what they couldn't do in a month and a half, he does in a day. So check this out in, 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 uh, in verse 28 through 31. It says, just pause for a second. Here comes David. This is important. He's going to disrupt something. And watch how David's brothers respond to him. Verse 28, But when David's older brother Elab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. He says, What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded, typical older brother. (laughs) What about the few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You want to see the battle. What I have done now, what have I done now? David replied, I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. So two things happen here. You guys ever got close to a dog when the dog is eating? We encourage people not to do that. Now again, I have this chocolate lab, and she like she loves love. Like she is she is the sweetest thing. You know she is this beautiful like chocolate lab, and she's super sweet. Like if someone broke into my house, she'd be like, here's the food, here's the keys. Like you know you know just just like rub my belly and like I'm happy, right? Here's the code to the alarm, you know. Here's, here's my dad's new truck. like You know what I mean? Just like, just let everything roll, you know. Um, but what happens here is, is, and I'm going up to my dog, and I get close to her bowl. Like, I'm just going to pet her. Like, I'm not doing anything. And I just go like this. And she, like, growls. Now, we have a new puppy in the house, so she probably is already upset and angry with me, so we're working on that. But she growled and snapped at me, and I'm thinking, we're no different. If someone gets close to us to try to change what we're holding on to, or even just the, 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 the potential threat. They're not even going to do anything, but just the threat of that, we like, we like snap. And that's what happens. That's what David's brother's doing. He's like, he's like what's wrong with you? He's like, go back, it's like, go tend the sheep. Like, you shouldn't even be here. He is like, don't disrupt what we got going, which was nothing. You know, I think sometimes due to our comfortable situations, we actually get defensive when in reality God is prompting us to move. You know, if you start looking at every situation as a divine opportunity and a divine situation, it changes everything. Because listen, like early in my career, and you guys all remember like the first year in ministry, your first year in your job and your career, like somebody probably blasted you for something, and you're like, that was not a divine appointment. But then this person's like, you are just the best thing ever. And you're like, thank you, God. You know, I had a I had a boss um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, my, in my past um, job, and, and, and we, we butted heads. We didn't get along very well. And I remember at one point, one of the guys on the staff with me, he said, he said what if God placed him there to crush you so that you could understand your greater need for God? And I went, yeah, we're not friends. <laughs> but you know what? I called that person a year later, and you know who you are if you're watching this. God grew me in such incredible ways because I did not want to accept that because it was what? Uncomfortable. So David doesn't obviously listen to his brothers because we know what happens, right? So 1 Samuel 17, 32 says this. Don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. But, you know, King Saul, like, listen, guys, this is like a, there's been no, like, news cycle for, for a month and a half. And, and King Saul sure does not want the first thing that happens after a month and a half to be like this 15-year-old kid tripped on the battlefield, broke his leg, and Goliath ate him. You know what I mean? Like, he, he doesn't want that to be in the news, so he's probably thinking like, you know, my neck's on the line. So what happens here when he pushes back, David pushes back even harder? And this is, we're seeing God's plan in action here because David responds in verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. You know, we don't, this is all we have recorded. We, he could have, God could have used David to defeat a puma. He could have used David to, to, to slay any other animal. Like we don't, we don't know. We only have what we have recorded here. But all of that, I'm thinking, okay, what does uncomfortable look like? How, how do we make sure we don't lose out on God's opportunity by, s- by settling back into our comfort and complacency? So I want to give us four truths this morning to help us slay this giant of comfort. The first one is that faith thrives in discomfort. Faith thrives in discomfort. You're probably saying, oh man, I, I knew I shouldn't have come this morning, like, He's, man, he's like, he's like you, got, you got your food, and you're kind of like, you know, you're getting close to me. Like, you better back off, you know. Like, we all have those moments. Like, we already are, this is uncomfortable. But we have to let the Lord change our hearts and speak to us. You know, just as much as every weekend, you know, whoever is preparing to, to speak and to, and to bring the word, it is the word of God that collectively is challenging and convicting us. It's no human words. It's only the word of God that will change our lives. So the first th- truth is that faith thrives in discomfort. So let's, let, let's go to the word. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 one says this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I know that faith word. There's very little comfort in stepping out in faith. We abandon man-made security and embrace supernatural security found in Jesus Christ. So how does this verse set us free? How does this verse set us free? See, faith is confidence in what we hope for. We, we can be confident because we're not stepping out in blind faith. Like, I, I mean, growing up, that's what I thought faith was. I thought faith was like, okay, God, and then, you know, you're doing one of these. You know, blind faith says jump, and if you have enough faith, you're, if your faith is strong enough, you'll survive. It's dependent on you. Most of my life, my mom would challenge us with one simple question. Anytime we face attention, a rough point in life, she would ask us one question. She would say, I mean, we'd come with her with, like, everything. Like, I came to my mom with everything. I'm like... My friends did this, and they challenged me to do this, and I didn't want to do it, and, you know, we, they were doing this, or, I mean, this kid at school doesn't like me to, you know, my sisters are driving me nuts, and they try to light my room on fire, like, I mean, there's just, I mean, you, you know, as kids, like, you know, everything is on fire, or somebody's always bleeding, and, you know, like, you know, my oldest is like, Rhett's bleeding, and there's this, like, speck of blood on his leg, like, what do you mean to do, like, Go rub it in the dirt. You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to help you to put a Band-Aid on it. He's like, do I want a Band-Aid. Come on, man. You'll be all right. But, but when I would come to my mom, she would ask us, have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? And honestly, guys, I'm going to throw out um, how I've been convicted. I think, and I think it's not just when I was a kid. I think so often I look at prayer as a cop-out. I mean, it's like, you know, hey, would you uh, would you think about serving on Wednesday night? Oh, I'll pray about it. You know what I mean? I don't know if that person prays about it or not, but my mom would challenge us: Have you prayed about it? And I'm thinking, you can't you can't just pray about it. I mean, I remember when my mom and my dad were going through some of the most difficult times in their marriage, and they had so many things going on, and she's like, I'm giving it to the Lord in prayer. Have you prayed about it? And I'm sitting there going, Mom, you have to do something. Like, you ha- like there has to be movement. And what I completely missed out was that my mom was placing her faith in God's promises, and she was moving. You know where she was moving? To her knees in prayer. You see, faith isn't blind. It's confidence in what we hope for. Confidence in what? God's promises. He's not saying jump. He's saying lean, trust, cling to. Faith is not a bare belief or intellectual understanding. It's a willingness to trust, rely, to cling to. You know, we see with our physical eyes those things before us, right? This water bottle. Faith is spiritual sight. God, as I go to try to talk to this person to help them understand that they need God, uh, help me. Or help me to just talk to my neighbor, to love them, and then begin to share about the gospel. Help me, you know, that specifically was an interesting moment in my life. Just not too long ago, I prayed that God would give me an opportunity to talk to my neighbor, and God put a certain situation in my life that was a little bit difficult, but it produced a conversation. You watch out when you pray, you know. So, I'm gonna share. I'm, I'm not gonna share all my Walmart all my Walmart stories because you'll probably lose your mind, but. Um, when I would get glasses from Walmart, it just, I just remember this moment like it was it was yesterday. When I first moved to Pittsburgh back in 2009, I needed glasses, so I go to Walmart, I fill out the prescription, and I you know, and then I go to like get my glasses. And we all know that it's like I don't know if anybody really enjoys getting glasses. Praise the Lord! Like I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm an extrovert with limits, but one of those things is like now I can order my glasses online. They come to my house, like it's wonderful. <laughs> because before, when you go, you sit in front of somebody, and then they like. I mean, now it's like they put them in a box, and then they slide it down a table. Like, I don't know how they do it now, but I just remember it was already awkward, and then, you know, this nice person, you know, I put them on, and I'm just like, holy smokes. Those are my first glasses, my first pair of glasses, and I'm like, everything is so bright. It's so, it's so bright in here. And she's like, yeah, it'll be like that for a while. Isn't that like our Christian walk? When we first come to Christ, we put this new lens on of Jesus, and we're like, it's like scary, exciting, overwhelming. We're like, I feel different. You know why? Because you're a new creation. God made you new. He took your past and removed it and put it in the past. And he set you, he put you on new, new shoes, new feet. You know, to put our faith in the work of Jesus Christ, guys, this is what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is that we are saying, it is belief that what God says is true. This is what it means to be Christian, to put our faith in the work of Jesus Christ. He lived, he was crucified, he was resurrected, and he ascended to heaven. He sent his spirit, and now he's living inside of us. This is the gospel. This is what we believe, and all hinges around a very uncomfortable moment. Listen, there wasn't, there wasn't much comfort when Jesus went to the cross. You know, the cross that brought pain and suffering for our Lord and Savior brought us, what? Freedom. Galatians 2.20 says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's, when you read scripture, here's what I want to challenge you to do. How do you see Christ in this verse, in these verses? Here's how I see Christ. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Luke who lives, but Christ lives in Luke. So Luke lives in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the gospel. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But now, because of Christ, through Christ, I have power. I have life. I have meaning. There's nothing that I did. In fact, Scripture says that like our best day, our, our, our deeds are like filthy rags. And Jesus goes, I paid for you. So I, so I is saying back to what this says. My old self has been crucified. It is no longer I, put your name, who live, but Christ lives in me. So I, it's responding back to what it says. It's saying because this is true, so here's what, here's what the future looks like. Isn't that exciting when you can look back and say this is, this is gone. It's gone. So I, so I. Our dreams, our plans merge with Christ when we remember the death and life are both part of Christ's work. Romans 6, 8 says this. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. When we baptize people, it's so exciting, and I can't wait. You know, Ken got to baptize somebody in a pool with Rhonda and the the life group, and that was so exciting because, listen, a pandemic isn't going to stop the work of God. And so what I love is that we we identify with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's our call, to die with Christ and to live with him. Our self-produced, selfish w- life has to go. We have to let go of our false sense of security to accept true security. When I was uh, finishing up my last year of college, I met a guy who lives over in 84. He's he sent to move to D.C., but he said, hey, there's this church looking for a youth pastor. I'm like, you know, that last year of school, like there's either two, there's like kind of two different types of people. There's one that they, they know exactly what they're doing, and you're like, like how? How did, you, how did you figure all this out? And we're sitting there like throwing out applications like left and right. We're like handing it to the mailman. Hey, do you need a job? Like, do you have a job? You know, this, and I remember hearing about this, this guy and he said, listen, there's this church in Peter's Township that needs a pastor, like a youth pastor. Uh, they're doing like an internship. And I'm like, that sounds cool. I've never been to Pittsburgh in my life. The only context of Pittsburgh that I had was there was a kid in my youth group who used to wear a Cordell Stewart jersey all the time. And and Jacob, if you're watching this, I love you, man. But one, but one of the things that was so funny was we were like every youth group. We would, you know, he'd wear this jersey, and everybody had like Bears jerseys, and you know, the team in Green Bay. Um, And and then you know they would all come, and it's like Jacob would have his jersey on. Like that was my only context of Pittsburgh. He's like, listen, man, I'll never be able to explain it, but it just is. And I'm like, I feel like that's a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. You know, and I love it. And so I didn't even know if I was going, so I na- had no context of Pittsburgh. I didn't even know if I was going to be there for a year. I came in July of 2009. I met this really pretty girl named Jessie, and I'm like, oh, please, God, let me stay here. <laughs> but nothing was secure. Nothing was comfortable. You know, when you're looking at your paycheck and you're looking at getting married, I know there is a sense of great uncomfortableness. When you're looking at the future, there's great sense of there's like no there's what is comfortable about our situation in our life right now, tell me. But what God did in that moment of my life is He was tilling the soil of my life because He was prepping me to face even greater giants of comfort. And some of these giants of comfort taunted me for years. So the first truth is that faith. Thrives in discomfort. The second truth is the point of our lives is Jesus' fame. To make Jesus famous. You know, David set out to kill Goliath, he wasn't doing it because he was annoyed. I mean, I'm sure there was a part of him he's human. He's probably like, like, you guys have like what did like you guys made t-shirts? Like, come on, man. Like, you know, what did you do? Like a month and a half. this, This this he needs to be slain. He needs to be slayed. And, like, he, he, you know, there probably was some pride. You know, he, I'm sure, guys, let's let, just think about this. Jesse, you know, David's dad gave him some bread and cheese. You have to think that he snuck a piece and threw the rest in the basket. You're like, then that been, I've that been working. <laughs> you know, I think about my daughter growing up with three brothers. Like, she is constantly throwing them for a loop. And I could just picture my daughter, Lana here, sweetie, go give this to your brothers, and she's just like, you know, taking a big old bite and putting it back in the basket. Here, look, here, guys, this is what mom and dad gave you. She's got curls, but she's got sass. Pastor Ken shared a really powerful story because David goes to make the name of Jesus famous. He goes to point back to God. In fact, that's that's how he justifies, put me in, coach. He says, "Put me in because here's what God did in my life." When Pastor Ken got up here and he shared, I'm thinking, "Ken, you're really going to talk about an opportunity where you went to the laundromat?" Do you guys remember that story where he went to the laundromat? He didn't have any money to do his laundry, and and listen, we've all been there. Like like people, you laugh at like some of the things that he said, but listen, we were we were there. Like we're going, "Oh man, there's five minutes left in that dryer," and I'm throwing my pants in. You know, we're, we did that. I did that. I'm sitting there laughing. He looked at me afterwards. He goes, "You know, you did that." And I was like, "Yeah." But when that guy showed up with $20, we look at that as so small. But what I say is, man, how powerful it is that it, a big God who made the, created the universe, who made the trees, who created trees that take in, that take in you know, carbon dioxide and make it out into oxygen, who give, truly gives us all breath, who made the stars, who, who hung the canopy of the universe, who did everything and created all things, the oceans, the, the animals, all that can go, you needed $20. Wow. That is so powerful because we expect, you know, it's like, oh, you know, his friend could have showed up and said, oh, man, I, man, someone gave me two Maseratis and I had an extra one. Here you go. Like, why, are we, why do we expect that from God? I mean, don't get me wrong. We've all prayed those prayers like, you know, Lord, give me, show me a sign. And, like, the billboard magically turns into turn over here. Okay. You know, we, we, listen, we all have those moments. But what is so powerful is that God knows the deepest parts of our needs. I just thought that was so powerful. You know, if we attempt to slay our giants only with the goal of our freedom, we lose heart and we eventually give up. There's not going to be enough motivation. Our goal must be to bring honor and glory and great attention to his name and his power. Paul says in Philippians 2 how we should consider the interests of others uh, before our own. And he truly, you know, he, 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 he encourages us as the church to be united under the name of Jesus. And then he says something in verse 5. He doesn't say, hey, this is a great suggestion. He says... You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I don't know about you, but like, following God, I love that he doesn't go, hey, here's like 15 different options. Try this one. You must. Follow me. Follow me. You know, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He humbled himself even to a position as a slave, as a servant. He became human. He humbled himself even to die a criminal's death on a cross. Paul continues on in verse 9. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I hope you're getting chills. And every tongue declared that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I can't wait for that day. You know, as our body aches, our soul aches for eternity. And that's how God made us. So when you're turned and you're like all turned up and you're all stirred up, that's God reminding you like, listen, this is just, we're just passing through. I remember as a kid, like, you know, you'd sing songs or hear about that. Like, we're just, you know, we're just passing through. Praise the Lord, we're just passing through. And maybe this last couple months has reminded us all of that. You know, our response to life is to bring glory to God, be pointers back to God, to step up in some of the most uncomfortable situations in life and say, giant, you will fall because bringing my God glory is at stake. Some of you are teaching. Some of you are working in the school districts. You are working in situations where it was this and now it's been flipped upside down. And I know that we've, you know, many of you serve in the medical field. Many of you are are serving in, in, in so many different ways, and I hope that you look at what you're doing as serving and not. So if you're in sales, how are you serving? You're trying to bring glory to God. You're trying to be pointers back to the cross of Jesus Christ in all that you do. So the second thing is that we point our lives... Jesus and we make him famous and the third truth is we align ourselves with God I think as we read this I hope that we're all starting to wrestle with something how how do I not miss out on the opportunity how do I not miss out on a God opportunity you know there's a wonderful hymn come thou found it's one of my favorite one of my favorite hymns one of come thou found of every blessing it says tune my heart to sing thy grace it is a tuning right God has to literally tune our hearts in order for us not to settle back into the lull of comfort we must align ourselves with God. God must tune our hearts. How do we tune our hearts? Be with him. How do we be with God? Through his word, through prayer, through worship. And I'm telling you, I love singing just as much as I know many of you do, but that's not where worship starts and stops. You can go on your back deck and I encourage you, go out, look out your window, whatever wherever you can go, look out your backyard, look out the front yard. Do you see birds? Watch a bird for five minutes. I know that's hard nowadays, but, like, you know, if you have to YouTube it, I don't know if you live in the city, but, like, you know, whatever. Find a bird, watch the bird, watch the bird eat a worm, and then remind yourself that when God is, when you are seeing that bird eat a worm, God's going, if I can take care of the birds, I'm going to take care of you. I watched the Purple Martins in my backyard. They're, like, the coolest birds. They eat, like, 15 times their weight, and, they, and they're, like, this big you know, they're really tiny and they're just beautiful. When the sun hits them, they look purple. They're gorgeous, like gorgeous birds. And I watch them and they'll come and they'll eat all day long. And it's great because I have ticks in my backyard like crazy. And so I'm like, come on, man, like, keep going. Come on, keep going. And and I watch them and God is going in that moment, he's going, Luke, I'm taking care of the birds. I'm going to take care of you. I'm thinking, thank you, God. Walk through the park. You don't have to be like super emotional. Just walk through the park and be like, God, thanks for trees. Thank you for, you know, the sunshine. I love that we have the, the, the blinds open. Thank you for the sunshine. We've been have. do you notice that we've been having more sun recently than we've had in a long time? Do you think that that's just random? God knows. He knows. He's like, I know my people in Pittsburgh. They need some sun. <laughs> you know, any of us can sit back and decide it's easier to follow the world's message you know, the, the, the example of someone else's life, you know, the comparison trap is such a plague. If I could be better, if I can do better, if I can be more. Maybe it's somebody else's standard for material wealth. Ultimately, we rationalize anything we want, but the invitation is not to follow our neighbor or follow another follower of Jesus, but the, the, the call is to follow Christ. Look at what Jesus shows us in Luke 249. So Jesus' parents, um, they, they, they lose him, which I'm going to tell you, like, parents, I mean, I, I've lost my kid down on the field. We weren't even, on, you know, on staff here. We went to June Jamboree, and I lost Wyatt for, like, a, a minute and a half. And it was like, you know, your first child, you like, lose your mind. I mean, any of us, you lose our mind, we lose our kids. But I'm just thankful that it wasn't Jesus' parents. It's like, we lost Jesus. Like, <laughs> but Jesus was in his father's house, and then when his parents find him, he goes, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Jesus, as a boy, even demonstrates our need to be with the father. Paul, in a letter to the Ephesians, he says this, and continuing on, he says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Why should we imitate God? Because we're dearly loved. Do you see the gospel? Imitate because you are dearly loved. Like, God does not put one book end up and then leave the other end up. He says, listen, Paul says, imitate God because you are dearly loved. It's not, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptize, preach the gospel, go. Go me when you're done, I'll be with you always. Do you see how it's never about our ability to do something? It's always about God setting us on mission, Him reminding us He's here. It's Christ in us. See the scriptures and always look to find the gospel in every single passage, in every single book. You can see the narrative. You can see Jesus in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Listen, the 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 couple teen passages like you know 14 15 and 16 i would not encourage you to read leviticus while you're eating breakfast some of them talking about like you know the cleansing of plagues and i'm sitting there like i'm going i'm going to put this aside for a while <laughs> but you can see jesus in all of these passages and he's constantly reminding us even in the old testament here's a picture of christ remember jesus sacrificed all comfort so that we could be free let's align ourselves with god and defeat the giant of comfort here's the last one number 4 we remember life is short I'm sure that David's brothers had a sense of regret. They wasted 40 days and they can't get those 40 days back. They could have set that in God's power. They could have moved forward, but they didn't. They sat under the influence of a taunting giant. They chose comfort over discomfort. They chose to waste their days instead of claim them. What's the danger for us? We can do the same thing. We waste our days thinking. We waste our days thinking, I've got time. I'll obey God in the next season of life. I'll obey God when I have enough money. I'll obey God when my kids are out of the house, when I'm older, when I'm finished having fun, after I'm married, when my marriage gets easier, when it seems more logical to take the next step. I believe that God is knocking on the hearts of all of us this morning and truly outside of this time. And he's saying, listen, he's getting in our face and he's saying, the battle is won. Life is short. Don't waste your days. I'm with you. You know, if the enemy can keep us good and comfortable, then he can prompt us to waste our days. But we are not a people of comfort. We are a people of what? Faith. You know, faith, you might say faith is reckless, chaotic, and blind. Remember, blind, faith is not a blind, bare faith or intellectual understanding. It's a willingness to trust, rely, and cling to. The true disease of our world is sin. Sin distorts, twists, and destroys. Christians all over this world fall prey to the giant of comfort. Comfort and complacency springs from the root of me that says we should protect what we have because we earned it and we deserve more. That kind of thinking results from having our eyes glued to the wrong world, namely the world we're passing through instead of the one that is coming. Jesus shared a story about a rich man who stores up everything. In fact, he desires to build bigger barns, store more up, and spend the rest of his life eating, drinking, and being merry. This, this passage was it stopped me dead in my tracks. Luke 12, 16 through 20 says this. then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat. Drink and be merry, but God said to him, "You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for?" The rich man wasn't a fool because he was rich, but because he placed earthly wealth above eternity, comfort above Christ. We want freedom, but we so quickly, we so quickly resort back to us. The rich man said, "My crops, my barns, my surplus, my life, my way." And the giant of comfort wins right there. What's clear here is the giant of comfort can tempt us with complacency. And complacency isn't about what we own or we don't own, it's cultivating and tolerating a heart that is so off target. You know, I, I, my heart's going this way. It's not of the Lord. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. So, what's our goal in life? To let Jesus be known. The goal of our faith isn't to settle into a nice, comfortable job and nice, easy routine. The goal is to say, God, I'm available for whatever you want me to do. And that's tough. When you call on me, I will step forward and say, in the name of the Lord God Almighty, I will step into this fight not by my ability or not my power, not my strength, but in the name of Jesus. Life is short, and I don't have enough time to have a complacent heart. Life is short. God is big. So here are a few things just for us to wrestle with and, and take away. Fight in the open. Become vulnerable. What I mean by that is you have to grow by, fight, by fighting, fighting this, this tension of, being, of wanting to be comfortable, and, and, des- and we know we're being called to be uncomfortable. You have to fight with people. You need people in your corner. And I know that the times are presenting a lot of hurdles and obstacles. Do what you can. Call people. Get people on a texting group. You know, FaceTime people. I know we're, like, so tired of that stuff, but we have it. And if that's what you're doing, you're doing that and it, better than not doing anything. But get people in your corner. Fight with people. Don't fight by yourself. You need to fight with others. We are all called to be with others and fight in the open. And here's another one. This is big. Trade the victim's attitude for the victor's attitude. Listen, we're linked to Jesus' power because what he has done for us. David didn't go before the Goliath with his rap sheep, and he just said, all right, hold, hold on, hold on. You know, As, David, as Goliath is screaming and ready to, de- to, to completely destroy him, he doesn't go, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, when they picked up, you know, my brothers to serve on the armies, like, they, for- they forgot to ask me, and um, I was left behind. He's like, I'm just a bread bear. Like, I'm only, like, 14 or 15. I'm not that strong. Like, just constantly playing the victim's mindset. David chose to stand in the name of Jesus, who was the ultimate victim. But here to catch us. Jesus is no longer the ultimate victim. He is standing in power and authority. And that's where David moved in the name of Jesus. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thank God he has made us his captives and c- it continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. David was riding the Jesus victory procession. That's how he defeated Goliath. You know, I don't want to minimize any of our stories. What I want to do is I want us to maximize how Jesus changes all of our lives. You know, I think so often when we have scars, what do we do? We want to hide them. I'm not talking about physical scars, I'm talking about life's scars. You think about your history, you think about your past, you think about what happened last week. We have scars. And what's the what's the initial reaction? It's to cover them up. You can't. But I'm gonna encourage you, don't hide your scars. Because we worship a Jesus who's in heaven And he's not scar free Don't hide your scars You know, Jesus kept his scars So that we could touch him And that we could see that he, what he went through for us He was afflicted You know, we always nail Thomas to the wall But you know what, Thomas represents Our, our hearts, we doubt We're we going to can't be And Jesus kept his scars in his hands and in his feet And he didn't say, look at me, I'm looking perfect He said, touch him Right now, we are facing an incredible war. You have the enemy that goes, you will be defined by your scars. And over here, you've got Jesus in his triumphant procession. Battle's already been won. God of the universe who's looking at you and say, you will not be defined by your scars, but you will be defined by mine. 2 Corinthians 4:18 says this, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things we see will now be gone soon, but the things we cannot see will last forever. I don't want to minimize this. I want to set you free and I want to encourage you. This pandemic is a blink on the radar in the screen of eternity. Yes, we've been affected. Yes, we're still battling. We're frustrated, we're angry, we're concerned, we're feared. But the fourth thing I want to encourage you is my story, your story, is about so much more than just you or just me. Our culture is crying out, maybe you're crying out this morning, to be satisfied, to be free, to be rescued. And the enemy is using the giant of comfort to keep us bound to our own security, our own plans, to be okay with just wasting our days. And we don't have to waste our days. We live on a planet with billions and billions of people who have never heard about the saving power of Jesus Christ. That's why time is so short. This world, guys, is rattling at the hinges, and we have the answer. We have hope. We have the truth. We have the life. We have Jesus Christ. Don't don't waste your days. And I'm not saying get crazy and take these huge leaps. Maybe What I am saying is take a step out of your box of comfort, out of your world of comfort. Do something for somebody else. Think about others than yourselves. Ask God to shake you up. Take your eyes off of the world and and put it on the world that that is coming because we're just passing through. I heard a great quote not, not too recent or, you know, not too long ago, and it said, you know, whether we admit it or not, God's just, he's not going to waste a pandemic. And I think he's calling us to not waste it as well. You've got opportunities. I've got opportunities. Teach your kids about Jesus. Help your kids lean into Christ. Have the uncomfortable conversations with your spouse. Help each other grow. Push each other to be in the word, to be in prayer. Pray for your neighbor. Talk to your neighbor. Be joyful when you're at the supermarket and you're, you're doing all the things you're doing. Be a joy at work. Help people find Jesus push yourselves to be in the uncomfortable moments because God's really, he's really given us quite an uncomfortable situation that people are already in, and we have an opportunity here. Don't waste it. Let's not waste this time. Would you close with me in prayer? Lord, we, Lord, we come before you and acknowledge, God, that we need your help, and I'm feeling it. I, I can even feel it just in the room, God, there's so much tension because, God, we are clinging to security. We were told to stay home, and now things are being slowly let open, and then we're, 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 we're concerned about the fall with school. We're concerned about, you know, what's going to happen with our jobs. We're, concern, we're concerned about what's going to happen with the friends of our children, with the, the, you know, all the activities. God, everything is just, it's, it's in chaos. It's up in the air. God, life is already so uncomfortable. I pray that in your power, Jesus, that we would live in our earthly bodies during this time, recognizing that it is Christ in us. And then because we know that that's true, that we would step out into the world of uncomfort, slaying the giant of comfort. God, be with your people this morning. Encourage us, challenge us, be with us, and for those who are here this morning or watching online, who are going, I want a relationship with this Jesus. I want to, ch- I want to trade my victim's mindset for the victor's attitude. Would you pray just something simple with me? Just acknowledge your need for Jesus, and just say, Jesus, I acknowledge the hole in my heart that I have a need for you, Jesus. I have sinned. I have. Messed up. I have my past. And Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you have set me free. That the old is gone, the new has come. And I want to take this message of life change, of hope, this message of Jesus to a watching, hurting, broken, uncomfortable situation. And I want to take that message of hope. Help me. Thank you for rescuing me. Lord, we, we, we acknowledge our need for you now more than ever. And we humbly place ourselves at your feet. And just like my mom always challenged us to have you prayed about it, I pray that we would be people of prayer. And that our movement would be to our knees in prayer. Lord, we love you. We exalt you. Jesus, you are. You are our everything. We leave everything at your feet. In your powerful name, amen. Guys, thanks for being with us this morning here, and it's good to see you with you. Good to be with you. Good to see you online. Have a great week, and we'll, we'll see you guys all soon. Take care.